Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a joy, what a privilege to worship with all of you. You may be asking, why do I always say, what a joy, what a privilege? Let me tell you why. Because it is really indeed very true that God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. And for me, to be able to praise God and worship with all of you regularly is a privilege. Today, we'll begin a new series. What's the name of the series? Be Rooted. Know God by His names. Why be rooted? I was amazed at this picture. This picture tells us what happened in the recent Ulysses typhoons. When things were washed away, notice the tree was deeply rooted. Therefore, it survives the storm. My prayer is that you and I will be deeply rooted in God. So that when the storms of life come, you and I will stand firm. The truth is this. We are facing a lot of storms. Pandemic, sickness, typhoons, hurricanes, all kinds of problems. But praise God. God is able to sustain us. And as you are deeply rooted in God, then you will grow, you will bloom. Do you know God? If I were to ask you, do you really know God? Be honest with me. Do you realize God wants us to know Him? Do you also realize God has revealed Himself to us through His Word, the Bible, through His works, creation, and above all, through the living Word, Jesus Christ? If you read the Bible, you will see the progressive revelation of who God is. Because there is not one name that can describe all the attributes, all the majesties, all the greatness of God. So God gives us different names. The first name revealed in the Bible is Elohim, Genesis chapter 1. The second name, suspense, I will tell you next week. It is in chapter 2. God has given us different names. For what purpose? That we will know Him. Believe it or not, God made this comment about His people. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, Listen to the word of the Lord, you sons of Israel, because the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. God is saying, I have an issue with you. I have a problem with you. And what is that problem? God says, there is no faithfulness nor loyalty. If you don't know God, the way you live your life will show it. That's why God tells us in Hosea 4 verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Can you see how serious it is? God is saying for your own sake, for your own good, learn, grow in your knowledge of who God is. This series is so crucial because God tells us from His heart. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it says, I desire loyalty than sacrifice, the knowledge of God, notice the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. I realize that is God's desire, that we know Him. Why? Because God wants to have an intimate relationship. 
God wants to have a love relationship with his people. Peter tells us the same thing. Chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you notice some Christians stop growing? Don't stop growing. The grammar here is keep growing, keep learning. And that is why I don't get tired of studying the Bible. Especially this new series, The Names of God. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep growing. The root problems of many people today can either be ignorant, we don't know the Lord, or shallowness. We don't have a clear view of God. The Bible tells us, and this is God's indictment to his people, God said, you think I am like you. It's an amazing verse. You think I'm like you. You know, God is saying, don't imagine me to be who I'm not. And many of us have this idea of who God is. We create God in our own imagination, in our own thinking, and God is saying, don't do that. We need to study the Word of God so that we will really come to know Him. For example, why are so many people worried? You want to be in control. And why do you want to be in control? A shallow understanding of who God is. The more you know God, the more you can be rested. Jay Parker said, What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we have in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God. What is the best thing in life? Answer, to know God. Do you know God? Let's begin. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. You are now introduced to the name of God for the first time. In Hebrew, it is called Elohim. Elohim comes from the root word El. El is the singular form of the word God. It is used 200 times in the Hebrew Bible. Singular, God. The word El means mighty, power. For example, Genesis 35, 11, God, Elohim, also said to him, I am God, singular, El. I am God Almighty. So the idea of El always deals with power, might, strength. God is Almighty. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created. Elohim created. The word created comes from this Hebrew word, bara. Bara means what? It is from the word creating something out of nothing. God, Elohim said, let there be light. Boom! There was light. Can you imagine such power? Just by saying it, 
it happens. Elohim appears 32 times in chapter 1 alone. What is the significance? Every mention of the word God there is Elohim. It's plural. It is not just describing His greatness, His majesty, as many Jewish scholars will say, but for us evangelicals, there's a deeper meaning. Because God, while God is one, He is triunity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all involved in creation. Look at verse 6. God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Verse 11. God said, Elohim said, Let the earth sprout vegetations. God has no equal. In the beginning, God created amazing power to create something out of nothing. You and I have no idea how this is possible. Because all of human creation, anything that we make is always from something. We modify it. If you make a car, you need iron ore, you need uh, copper, you need all kinds of materials. However, God is able to do something from nothing. So, you can see God's amazing power. How did He make us? The Bible tells us by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath of His mouth, all their lights. He spoke, it was done. He commanded, it stood firm. The Lord nullifies the plan of the nations. That is why you can trust God because of His amazing power. By the word of the Lord, God's word is amazingly powerful. You can trust His promises. You can trust His word. If you're always anxious, if you're always worried, you don't understand the power of God's word. Notice in Psalm 62 verse 11. This is an amazing verse. Elohim, our God, has spoken once. Twice I've heard this. Power belongs to God. So Elohim means what? Power. Plural. To heighten the intensity of His greatness, of His power. The Jewish scholars would like to limit it up to intensity, majesty. However, for you and I, it's more than that. You will notice the power of God in creation. The Bible simply said, and God said, boom, it happens. God said, God said 10 times in Genesis 1. Such is the authority of our God. By simply saying it, it will happen. I like what Arthur Pink said. We cannot have a right conception of God unless we think of Him as all-powerful, as well as all-wise. He who cannot do what He will and perform all His pleasure cannot be God. As God has a will to resolve what He deems good, He has the power to execute it. I like what Stephen Charnock said. 
Without power, his mercy would be but feeble pity. His promises, an empty sound. His threatenings, a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself. Infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be frustrated by the creature. And above all, I love what he said. The power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatsoever he pleases, whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct, and whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve. Such is our God, Elohim, absolute power. That's why you can trust him. This is so crucial. If you don't get Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you will have problems throughout the rest of the scripture. If you believe God, Elohim, created everything, then you won't have problem when it comes to miracles. You won't have problem when you begin to read the other parts of scriptures. Why? Because you have settled the fundamental issue of life. How do you see this world? How do you see this universe? This is called worldview. All of us have certain worldviews. What do I mean by worldviews? For example, you can look at this world from the lens of there is a God who made everything. I call that theism, the Christian worldview. God created the heavens and the earth. The other perspective is naturalism. What is naturalism? Naturalism simply means they don't believe in God. Everything is through the natural cause. It's through the material world. No spirit, no miracles. In short, life is a product of an accident. Naturalism believes in evolution. That life comes from non-life. And that there is no purpose, there's no meaning. Why? Because there's no creator, there's no designer. Two possible worldviews. I realize faith is eventually a choice. Is it creation or is it evolution? Eventually, you need to come up with your own decision. For me, I believe there is more scientific evidence supporting creation than scientific evidence supporting evolution. Be careful. We have been brainwashed into thinking evolution is a fact. Evolution up to this day is a theory. It has never been proven. But when something is repeated again and again in textbooks, in the media, what is a theory suddenly becomes factual. But it is not. It's a theory. And you know why they believe in evolution? Let me tell you. Let, let me explain to you how an atheist arrived at his conviction. We take the side of science, evolution, in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs because we have a prior commitment to materialism. In other words, 
even though there's no scientific basis, but because of their worldview. What is that worldview? Materialism or naturalism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world. Notice what he said. It is not because of the methods of science that convince them of evolution. No, he's admitting it is not. But notice what he said. We are forced by our adherence to material causes. No matter how mystifying, if I put my own words, no matter how absurd, no matter how crazy, how unprovable, that materialism is absolute. Why? We cannot allow a divine foot in the door. And that, my friend, is the real issue today. Not because of lack of evidence. People don't even want to study the evidence. They don't even want to look objectively between creation, the science of creation, versus the science of evolution. Friends, there's enough materials, enough books to help us. For me, there are many reasons why I believe in the book of Genesis, why I believe in creation. But let me just share with you one of them. It's called the fine-tuning of the universe. As you study Genesis 1, you will notice how meticulous God is in designing everything so that life can exist. What is the meaning of fine-tuning? Fine-tuning means the distance of the sun to the earth has to be such that it cannot be closer or farther. Mind you, even 1%, it will affect life. The distance of the moon to the earth has to be such precise so that the flow of water, so that the changing of tides, so that gravity will be the right proportion. The speed of the rotation of the earth. You have no idea how fast the earth is rotating. It has to be such. If it's too fast, it's going to affect the wind. It's going to affect the temperature. It's going to affect everything. The 23 degree tilt of our planet. Notice 23 degree. Not more, not less. Why? That is exactly why we have such climate. Four seasons. Our equator. It has to be precise. If the tilt is not right, you can have winter for so long. You can have night time for so long. It's going to be problematic for life. And above all, the gravity. There's what you call in science the gravity constant. The gravity constant is the gravity created by the planets, by the stars. And if it is affected by 0 0.00000, it's hard to see the number of zeros. You know why? It is how many zeros? Can you guess? 32. 1 over 32 zeros. In other words, the minutest detail. If the gravity constant is affected, guess what will happen? The universe will collapse. We will not exist. And you and I won't be here. No wonder Isaiah tells us clearly. Isaiah 
chapter 45, verse 18 tells us. This is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is the God, Elohim, who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it as a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. To this day, all kinds of space exploration have not seen life. I'm not saying there's no life out there, but I'm saying the earth is so unique because God says, I made earth. For what purpose? For living. What an amazing God. You know the implication of our creator, that there's a creator? These are the implications. Think about it. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. You are amazingly designed. And God knows what is best. And because God designed the universe, He has given us laws. Not just physical laws. The law of physics that govern the physical universe. God has given us spiritual laws that governs our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. That's why it's so important to understand we have a creator. The moment you have a creator, it means you become accountable to him. To be accountable to him means you are answerable. Someday, you and I will stand before him and he will ask you, what have you done with what I've given you? Elohim means what? God is our creator. Notice what it says. In the beginning. Notice that word, in the beginning. So what can we learn about God? What can you learn about Elohim? God is before all time. Meaning God is about time. God is eternal. In the beginning. It means before there was time, there was God. In other words, God is not subject to time. He is above time. He is eternal. Just imagine before there was time. Just imagine before there was any universe. Before there was any angel. Before there was any human being. Imagine God is hard to comprehend. And the Bible tells us our God is all-sufficient. God is self-sustaining. God is complete, lacking in nothing. God did not make us because He needed us. The Bible tells us God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect relationship. God was not lonely because God has already a relationship in eternity past. That's why the Bible tells us God is eternal. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the word, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are Elohim. God is eternal. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. What does that mean? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus was described as Hebrews 
13 verse 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean? It means God is not only eternal. Elohim is immutable. He does not change. God is timeless, infinite. His essence is perpetually the same. God is not subject to mutations. God has neither evolved, God did not grow or improve. Why? He cannot change for the better. He is perfect. And being perfect, He cannot change for the worse. In other words, you and I can trust Him completely. He's perfect. But do you notice? Because God does not change, His purpose does not change. Many times, people think God's purpose, God's will can change. Can I tell you something? The Bible is very clear. Because God knows everything. He's never caught by surprise. His purpose does not change. Do you know why we change? Do you know why I change my mind? When I discover something new. Many times, I change my mind because I have additional information. But God is different. God always has perfect information. God has complete information. That's why you can trust Him completely. And that's why when you read the Bible, you will know that God is eternal. He does not change. Let me, let me give you an example. If God hates sin, He will never change. Up to today, for eternity future, God will judge sin. God loves us. The Bible tells us, in Jeremiah, I love this verse. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You see, eternity past, God is telling us He loves you. Even before the world began, God knows everything. That's why His love for you is such a secure reality. You can rest upon Him because He knows everything about you. God knows everything about me. God knows my failures. He knows what I'm going to do. But in spite of that, God says, Peter, I love you. I've chosen you. That is our God. That is our Elohim. Notice about Elohim, our God. Let's review. In the beginning, before there was time, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. God is our creator. Immutable, unchanging. You can trust him. But you know what? This is amazing. And the earth was formless, desolate emptiness. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You know, God is amazing. The Bible tells us God can transform something desolate, empty, into something beautiful. Emptiness to fullness. Darkness, notice, darkness to light. And God can do the same for you. No matter what is the status of your life. Empty, darkness, chaotic. God says, He can transform your life. Notice, the Holy Spirit is involved and the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. 
And then what else? Do you notice how God created this amazing universe, this amazing planet? In chapter 1, verse 4, God saw that the light was good. Do you notice God repeated the word good seven times? Verse 10, God called the dry land earth, the gathering of the waters he called seas. It was good. Verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants, and trees. And the Bible tells us God said it was good. Verse 18, when God made the moon, the stars, the Bible tells us God said it was good. Verse 21, when God created the living creatures, the animals, the winged bird, it was good. And then verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth. And the Bible tells us God said it was good seven times. The last time was after the creation of man in his image. Verse 31, and God said it was very good. Not just good, very good. Can I ask you to just imagine? God created man, male and female, in the last day after preparing everything. You will notice God provided everything. He provided the food. He provided our provisions because God Elohim is not just our creator, he is also our provider. He made sure we would have everything that is needed for our life, for our enjoyment. And that's why you notice the sequence of creation. We were the last, the pinnacle of his masterpiece. God was preparing all of this for us. Just like a father, you love your children. You prepare everything for them to enjoy, for us to be blessed. Such is Elohim. Not just Almighty, but He's good. He loves us. You notice, the Bible tells us, Elohim said, Let us make mankind in our image. Now this is, the amazing discovery of grammar. Technically, this is grammatically wrong. But because of God's inspiration through the Holy Spirit, it is correct. Let us, us is plural, make mankind in our plural image is singular. According to our likeness, we were made in the image of God. And let them rule, notice, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So Elohim created man in his singular image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. What does that tell you about God? You know, God loves us so much. He made us unique and special. Unlike all the other creatures, all the other animals, 
only God made us in His image. What does that mean? The Bible is very clear. God is spirit. So it's not about physical likeness. We are like God in the sense of we can think. We have intellect. God has intelligence. God thinks. We have emotions. We have feelings. God has feelings, has emotions. God made us to be like Him, to love and be loved. And then God gave us a will, a volition, to follow Him or not to follow Him. God could have made us into robots. But the moment we are robots, we cease to be human. And God made us in His image. You have a will to follow Him or not to follow Him. And God gave us spirit. We are spiritual beings in a human body so that we can worship God. We can communicate with Him. Do you notice there's no other animals in the world, not even monkeys, not even dogs, who will want to pray, who will want to worship God? But humanity, you go all over the world, you study all the cultures of all the human races, and all of them have this desire for worship. Why? We were made in the image of God to have relationship with Him because God made us relational. What does it mean created in the image of God? You will note God gave us not just physical laws to govern the physical universe. He also gave us spiritual laws so that we will know how to relate to Him and above all, He also gave us moral laws. God made us, He designed us, and He knows what's best for us. And the moral laws of God governs our relationship with one another. And many times when we break those moral laws, we are hurting ourselves. And that is why God wants us to know. Number one, He loves us. He designed us, but we got to follow His directions. Elohim is the plural form of El. It is used over 2,750 times. Elohim. When you add the word Elohim, it becomes plural. Actually, you can translate it in the beginning, God's created the heaven and the earth. Except, theologically, God is one. At the same time, He's a compound unity. Do you realize when the Bible says in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Elohim is one. That word one, ikad, is not a numeric one. It's a compound unity. That is the same word used in Genesis chapter 2, when God says, And the two shall become one. So it is not numeric oneness. It is compound unity. It is not just a Hebrew expression of greatness, of majesty. It is literally true that God is one. At the same time, God is compound unity. God is three. What do I mean? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You will not understand that fully until you see the progressive revelation of who God is. In John chapter 1, Verse 1 and 3. It's like a repetition of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, 
before there was time, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You notice? In the beginning, before there was time, you have the Word. Who is the Word? The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Notice, the Word is the Creator. All things came into being. All things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Do you know what the Bible is saying? Everything was created by the Word. Question, who is the Word? That's how you study the Bible. Let the Bible interpret itself. In John 1.14, the Bible tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, the Word was Jesus. You can therefore read John 1 as follows. In the beginning was Jesus, and the Word, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Amazing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 17. This is mind-boggling. The Bible tells us Jesus is in the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. The word firstborn does not mean created. He is the most important. The preeminence. For by him, notice, by Jesus, all things were created. I don't know how to make it clearer. By him, all things were created. All things. Angels. The universe, the sun, the moon, gravity, all things were created. Notice, both in the heavens and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. My goodness, Jesus is worthy of our worship. Why? He is our creator. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Do you know what keeps this universe together? Science cannot understand the tremendous power of what is holding the atoms. Do you realize the power of one atomic bomb? But what is holding it together? Well, Hebrews 1.3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature upholds all things by the word of his power. Describing Jesus is holding everything by his power, by his word. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Such is Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God distinctly in three persons. So you can see, how do you understand Elohim? Well, Elohim, 
One God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. One God. Manifested in three persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. One God. Eternally in existence in three persons. No wonder. You can begin to see the power of Jesus manifested to show us that he has all authority and all power. Remember the story of Lazarus? When Lazarus died, Jesus came before the grave and said the following. In John 11, verse 43, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus was dead for more than four days. And the Bible tells us, out came the man who had died, bound hand and foot with wrappings on his face. Jesus simply said, come out. You know why? Such is Elohim, has authority and power. I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 1. No life, he can give life. Darkness in the tomb, he can give light, he can give life. Such is our God. In your life today, nothing is impossible. Lazarus was dead for four days. But Jesus can give a simple command. Lazarus, come forth. And there was life. You see, if you believe in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth, then nothing is impossible. There is no problem so big that you have to worry. No promises that seems impossible, but God can do. What are the evidences of really knowing God? How do you know you know God? And this to me is a test. I call this the test of worship. What do I mean the test of worship? Worship is like a thermometer. It measures our understanding of who God is. You see, worship, by definition, is our proper response to who God is, what He has done, what He continues to do. So somebody who knows God, the evidence is His worship. If your worship is feeble, if your worship is pitiful, if your worship is without excitement, my friend, it's possible you don't know God. Notice Revelation chapter 4, 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. You created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. My wife and I will repeat this verse when we worship God. When we walk in the morning, we say, Our Father, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. We worship God. Why? He's worthy. Have you ever thanked the Lord that He made you? My wife and I worship God. The test of worship is evidenced by your gratitude, your thankfulness. Are you thankful that God made you? Are you thankful that you're alive today? 
Are you thankful that forever you will be with the Lord for eternity? Are you thankful for your life? And above all, do you have a grateful heart, even for problems? You know why? You need to learn to be thankful. Because God is God. He knows everything. Nothing is too hard for Him. Worship is evidenced by not just gratefulness. It's evidenced by obedience. You see, the test of the knowledge of God is, do you obey Him? How can you obey God if you don't know Him? True worship is obedience to His Word. The Bible tells us, if we love God, we will obey Him. Are you really obeying God from the heart? Do you find it a joy to worship God? The test of worship, that's our evidence. Worship means what? You worship Him. You thank Him. You adore Him. You love Him. You obey Him. You trust Him. How are you doing in that area? Is it possible that some of you may know about God, but you don't really know Him? Perhaps you grew up in a Christian environment. So Christianity has become cultural. Christianity has become a religion. My concern is you may not really know Him. Because honestly, can I share with you from my heart? If you really know God, Elohim, Almighty, your life will never be the same. Your worship is going to be different. Your desire to study His Word will be there. Your obedience will be there. And above all, even your character, your joy, your peace, the way you respond will be different. I pray that you will pursue the knowledge of God. I want you to be rooted in God. Because when you are rooted in God, you will grow. And if you are rooted in Him, you will know what Jesus meant when He said in John 10.10, 10, He came, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Because there are many people today, you are like Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Your life is in darkness. Your life is empty. Your life is chaotic. The Bible tells us God can make a difference. He can bring darkness to light. He can change your emptiness to the fullness of life. God can make something desolate, empty, into something beautiful. Remember, God makes all things beautiful in His time. As we close, look at John 17. This is why you have to be rooted in God. Because John 17 verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? It's so crucial. Be rooted in God. Know Him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You begin to understand now, I don't preach religion. I don't focus on rituals. I want us to learn to have a deep relationship with Jesus 
be rooted in who God is. I want to give you a chance to really come to know God. And the Bible tells us the key to knowing God is through Jesus. I'd like you to invite Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. I want you to learn to repent of your sins. Come before Him and pray this prayer with me. Something like this. Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. My life does not reveal that I really know you. I want to repent of my sins. I invite you, Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior. I surrender myself to you. I accept your gift of forgiveness. I accept your gift of eternal life. Will you, Jesus, change my life? Give me the joy of knowing you. From darkness to light. From emptiness to fullness of life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for creating me. And Lord Jesus, for the rest of my life, help me to follow you. Amen. If this message has been meaningful to you, feel free to click on the space provided below. And I have good news for you. Next week, I will tell you the second name of God as revealed in the book of Genesis chapter 2. In a short while, we will have discussion questions. But before the discussion questions, believe it or not, we will have fast track that will be brought to us by none other than Venus Brah.